This is the Pain Information Network, 92 from the annual meeting, Southern Pain Society. Welcome back. We've got some interesting folks uh, that we've interviewed over the next few podcasts, and I'll mix it up a little bit. Really good meeting, Southern Pain Society. These are really good people. Again, top drawer and uh, a lot of good information, a lot of good camaraderie. I'm telling you, going to these meetings, if anything, it's the networking. When we practice, we want to make sure, as I always say, you hear me say it all the time, are we doing the right things for the right reasons? Yeah. And when we can sit down and talk and break bread and just get back and forth with each other, we we feel better. We just come out of these meetings and we say, yeah, you know, as subjective as this field we're in, pain medicine, that has sometimes so little objective findings, in other words, the things we can't see, touch, feel, or measure, and um, we always are a little unsure. So with subjective interpretation of pain comes the uh, patient uh, or any anyone, <laughs> any of us, and we have to take the most important thing we have, the history, the understanding of the communication string, and come to a conclusion, and we call that a diagnosis. That's one of the five rules. If we don't have it correct, then... We can't go forward into those benchmarks with successful outcome at 3, 6, 9, and 12 months because that's our objective. Our objective is to put patients in a better place. And nowhere can we find that uh, as gratifying in our professional existence is when we get the little cues, and, and they aren't always big cues. They aren't always these what people say are home runs. Oh, I'm completely free of pain. Unrealistic. But the the family that gets together and they can do more things, play catch, uh, uh, gramps, and maybe uh, grandma can go to the grocery store and uh, has better interaction with the grandchildren. You know, these, these things are important. Those are uh, the life goals, and how about the individual with fibromyalgia that has a good night's sleep? Yeah, there's something novel, and the fibro fog lifts. Or the individual with a failed back surgery syndrome that has had a couple treatments uh, successfully, uh, or might have had a spinal cord stimulator placed, and they are now thinking about reengaging, going back to work, and truly socializing. That, to us, is why we get up in the morning and go do what we do. Today, I, I interview one of these folks that I heard lecture yesterday, Dr. Hamza. He's in Virginia, and he's extremely well qualified uh, to be giving the type of information we need to hear today. He's been around the block. He understands the objectives of improving function and quality of life. Because he's been a hands-on educator, he's been a hands-on uh, physician from the trenches, and has a wealth of experience. Um, very good lecturer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this now, and the lecture will kind of explain itself. But it's uh, fun talking to folks like this because I come away, I've learned something, and I hope everybody uh, takes away just a, a better feeling. Here we go.
I have the privilege today of Dr. Hamza accompanying us and uh, listened to his lectures yesterday. It was just, uh, it was really inspiring. Dr. Hamza is a uh, medical doctor. He comes to us through the Southern Pain Society and we're at the annual meeting. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. My name is Margaret Hamza and I currently work out of uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, my training uh, post uh, medical school started at the University of Arizona. Uh, I did residency in surgery, residency anesthesia, came to UVA in Virginia, did a fellowship in uh, pain within the faculty of UVA for a few years, recently left and joined the faculty at VCU where I direct the pain fellowship program, as well as their spine center and neuromodulation program. And just recently, a few weeks ago, I decided to consider joining a big, huge private practice group in the East Coast. Yeah, it's, uh, that's great. That's some, that's some chops. That's some qualifications. And I appreciate you joining us today. So I, as a broad brushstroke, when I, I think of what we're doing in pain medicine, I always think, are we doing the right thing for the right reasons for the patient? For example, I, are we really getting it right? And I guess that's the theme for this meeting. So, all right, let's start at kind of the core basics. If we could take what we do for patients, those that have chronic pain, those that have loved ones in chronic pain, and we could do it better, where would we start? Um, that's a great question, and let me step it back a little bit. Uh, I think chronic pain patients and sufferers uh, have a unique disadvantage that most other patients do not. I'm a very, very, very strong advocate of my patients. One of them is, if you think about it, most chronic diseases come with a degree of recognition and celebrity. If I tell you right now I had, back, I had my heart operated upon and I'm here lecturing, you will probably be very empathetic and wondering how well I'm doing. But if I look at you right now and say, my back hurts, you are likely to say, okay, mine too. So chronic pain patients have this unique disadvantage. The other thing they also do not have is the, or I think should have, is if we as providers, physicians and others, engage our patients, their families, their caregivers and loved ones into building a unique individualized treatment plan, I believe we can achieve a lot more uh, without adding more cost and expenses and burdening the system. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, cost is a, is a huge driver of medical decision-making. It shouldn't. Unfortunately, it is. And we have to balance our resources that are available versus our future needs because, let's face it, sometimes chronic pain can be a black hole, but we don't want it to be a black hole in the patient's mind. We want them to see that we're making progress forward. When you approach a patient and you, you're one of the many providers that have seen him, how do you approach him and you start? Now we've got a problem, we're moving forward. I think the most important thing is to give those patients an opportunity to share with you their story. Uh, listening is very important. Second is validation and vindication. We've got to acknowledge and realize what they have gone through is, uh, is not simple and is not easy and has to be addressed. Three, make sure their surroundings, whether it's family, friend, church group, support group, uh, loved ones, spouses, play a role into creating the treatment plan. I also believe the treatment plans <coughs> excuse me, have been skewed by multiple interests and, and, um, uh, and influences from the outside. Uh, but if you look at the individualized 
experiences or the personal experiences that's that's anecdotal evidence in medicine or the big published long series of extensive research, we know that what works best is listening, vindication, validation, participatory mode of care where all the key players, patient, their family, and the physician, the provider, and the support group, and the local church is involved. But most importantly, the use of multi- modalities of intervention. We've got to address the, the coexisting medical and psychological disorders. We've got to address the medication needs. We've got to address interventions and, and, uh, and, and um, things that involve cutting or poking at the skin. The use of one single modality rarely leads to a measurable, sustainable outcome. What do you mean by multimodality? We've heard that. We heard that yesterday as uh, a number of lectures approached uh, restorative uh, function, restorative, uh, restorative programs, uh, whatever that is, and multimodality, whatever that is. Take it from there. What do we mean by that? If you look at, in our country, there are about 100 million people with chronic pain. The majority of those patients are treated in what we call a standalone outpatient treatment facilities or clinics. That's the majority of those patients. The majority of those outpatient freestanding facilities are probably focused on, for many reasons and pressures, a unilateral or a one single mode approach that involves a little bit of medications, lots of injections and, 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 and surgeries, which doesn't really work well. In my definition of multimodal, it has to be the following. One, simple. Two, applicable. Three, again, uh, right, right or wrong, has to be covered and paid for. Four, acceptable to the patient and their family. And the big thing I'm working on currently is has a measurable impact on the patient and their society. You're right, and we, we talked about things getting paid for, not out of a sense of greed or, or a desire to make a lot of money. We talk about it because it ensures access to care, not now, but in the future. Isn't it about right? That's absolutely correct, because uh, uh, it's not about the short tunneled vision of the coming few years. When I, pay, when I talk about paid for or covered by insurance, just to allow the patient to receive the treatment, uh, I, I can tell you that the coverage and the paid for is rarely, rarely a major impact on the physician. Let me reword this. The physician portion of the paid for and covered is about maybe 15% of the whole big picture. So when I talk about that, it's not a matter of give me more money. No, we're doing all right, and we're all in this together, and we have to make it work. I'm talking about make it accessible, available, in remote areas, as much as big cities, to all patients, or at least the majority of patients suffering this condition. It's mostly of an access thing rather than a more revenue for a provider or a facility. You really experienced it, this, and this is, a, this is a question I pose to experienced physicians that have seen thousands of pain patients. It's perceptions. When a patient comes to a pain clinic, and I used air quotes there, a pain clinic, they have perceptions. They read things on the Internet or they hear things from friends and neighbors. By the way, they're rarely accurate. And they hear things from their primary care or other referring physicians. And they're almost afraid to ask questions because they think, I'm just here for pills. 
And what we're saying is that's not it, correct? Absolutely correct. I do not think there is a one it. I believe, and that's bore through my own experiences, the experiences of many other providers, as well as documented published work and the big, the published in medicine means stuff that have been peer-reviewed, edited, and vetted in scientific journals, that if you just do the pills, probably very few patients will be very successful. If you just do injections and needles and nerve blocks, very few patients will receive success or will report success. If you just do uh, implants and advanced gadgetry, same will apply. I believe the most accurate, the most realistic, and cost-effective for access method to approach those patients is to explain the process, listen to their complaints, realize that they know that you listened. I personally ask every patient when I have taken their history, do you believe there is any more questions I should have asked? Do you think I heard what you said? And, and it's perception. They have, to, they have to believe that I really listened, not just me deciding. Following that, it's the judicious application of all those modalities that is likely to produce good, successful outcomes. In that case, meaning reduction in the pain of suffering, allowing the patient to return to a uh, semi-productive life as their per definition. They do not have to meet my definition of success. They have to meet their definition of success, hence the listening, the vindication, and the individualized treatment plan. You're exactly right. So you said it, and you nailed it. If you're at a, quote, pain clinic that just does injections or a, quote, pain clinic that just gives medication, you don't have the broad brushstroke. You don't have the opportunities that others might have that have a multimodality approach, a broad brushstroke. So what should a patient look for? The patients are blinded. They, they are generally going to go where the doctor says go, or they're going to go where a family member says go. They're consumers. What would you say? I encourage every patient to interview the provider as much as the provider interviews the patient. I encourage every patient to ask questions. As a matter of fact, I give everybody a pencil and a, and a little notepad, and I say, next time I see you, I expect you have to have written some questions for me. And I suggest for them some questions. If they say, I do not know, you're the doctor, do what you, you think. I would say you should know what I've done, my, what, what I have done before. You should ask, talk to my other patients, and there are uh, 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 confidentiality-approved methods of connecting patients. Uh, you should know what I'm, I'm asking you to do, why, and how come, and what to look forward to. We're going to do this together. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, it comes to patients might not be educated, and let me qualify that, say what that means. They don't have diplomas and degrees, but they're not ignorant. Patients are very perceptive, and they're very intelligent, and they will, at the end of the day, have a feeling about their physician. If you talk to patients, which I'm sure you do, uh, they will tell you that uh, a provider so-and-so, when I was talking to him or her, I didn't like him, and I didn't trust him, and I didn't see happy patients in the waiting room. Uh, there is no one litmus test to detect this. It has to be like a bilateral back-and-forth questions and getting to know each other. It has to be a trusting relationship where the physician is trusted by his patient and the patient is trusted that this physician have their best interest at heart. But you know what they say, uh, verify, uh, you know, trust and verify. Uh, 
follow all your gut feelings, ask questions, and vet your provider as much as you can. Yeah, it, exactly right. And you're not going to get that information on the Internet. It's because the Internet is an inaccurate mess. What you're going to need to do is use that good old-fashioned gut. That's what you're telling me. Use that good old-fashioned instinct. And um, somewhat trust uh, your referring uh, physicians and the physicians that you trust, like your family doctor, to point you in the right direction. So, okay, now, a patient comes to see you, and they've got a long-standing problem. And what they've done is they've taken opioids and they've taken benzodiazepines and they've, they've been taking these medications sometimes for a prolonged period of time. And you've got to tell them we're going to do it a different way. Um, how do you do that and maintain the relationship with the patient? I start by uh, getting their history, and I do sit down and ask extensive history questions, including every uh, other physician they saw, every other intervention they've been through, and the outcomes. And then I point out to them that my concern, my passion, my commitment is their safety and their outcomes. And I explain to them why that's important to them, and it's important to me. And at this point, everybody agrees. And then I go to, well, uh, let's find out. Now, you come to me with a list of medications and a list of uh, activities you're able and unable to do, and you think the things are just, if you just keep them the the way they are, we're going to be okay. I talk to them and discuss with them the fact that, one, we need to know what's going on, like what's underneath, what is really helping, what is really not. Two, we have to maintain your own safety as the patient. This is my commitment, responsibility, honor, and pleasure to do. So slowly but surely, I would start looking into other uh, methods adjusting those medications, weaning some down, keeping some on board, introducing other modalities, whether they are invasive or non-invasive. And that will give me and the patient a chance to get to know each other and hopefully trust each other. Yeah, I'm sorry. You said it. You're at a specialist that, you know, basically the specialist is saying, um, what's the definition of madness? Repeating the same thing that has been done over and over with the same results. It's madness. And you're saying we're going to change directions, but gently. That's what a patient needs to hear. Very gently and having making sure that the patient and the caregivers understand why and are told and made to feel as they are part of this plan. Because if it was working that well, probably they wouldn't be in my office. Mm-hmm. So, And that's why uh, you, you got the referral is – Another set of eyes, another set of benchmarks for direction. But more importantly, maybe you've got something in your toolkit that may work a little better. And tell us about some of those tools. Some of those tools will be uh, uh, changing the doses of medications, altering the combination of medications, the introduction of non-invasive as well as invasive modalities as appropriate to allow for the reduction of doses or the rotation or the drug holidays to happen. Um, That will allow the patient to, one, see some benefit, see also see some reduction in some of the inherent side effects of certain medications. And when they do that, they give you their buy-in. They say, I I, I want more of that. And we always ensure that the patient and I have a plan B. They always have to realize that I got their backs, literally got their backs. Uh, if, If something doesn't work, 
I have a plan B. And if plan B doesn't work, I have a plan C. When, when we need another consultant involved, I will do that myself. I will get on the phone, talk to this person, get their input, and see if something needs to be done. If we're going to consider a, a, a more invasive uh, pain implant, I will evaluate, assess, educate the questions, perform, maintain, and follow up. So pain patients feel abandoned feel taken advantage of. Once they realize that you have their hands, you're gonna walk together this path, they will probably be extremely compliant with what you talk about and discuss. Mm -hmm. The most rewarding thing in my practice, for me personally, is when a patient looks at me and says, nobody ever spent time talking to me and my spouse about those treatments before. And it might be the case, might not be. I believe it's mostly, or in, the most, in most cases, it was never discussed in a manner that's easy to understand. Yeah. Every patient leaves my office not with a five-page discharge summary. Absolutely not. With a one-sheet of large print assessment, as in my opinion, and plan as what we're going to do about it. So when they go home, they know what I said. Yep. And yep. when they come back, they can hold me to it. Well, and it works well. It's, that's a perfect segue to, to, for you, because I know you articulate this well. Tell our listeners that it isn't a pain-free pathway or trajectory that we're headed. We're headed towards improving function and quality of life. And we, we look at that as one of the most important markers, whereas they may look at it differently. They may think, I'm, I'm not pain-free. I'm no better. That's not true, is it? It's absolutely true. And if you talk to a lot of pain patients, they will tell you, Dr. So-and-so did this and this and this to me. I'm not better. But I like this guy. Mm -hmm. We see it a lot. But I like this guy because he cared and he did his best. That's the perception part. That has to be coupled with the fact that those perceptions and expectations have to be discussed in the open, repeatedly, repeatedly discussed to make sure they are realistic and achievable. Uh, I always tell patients, uh, if I do whatever I can do uh, in my own body, there is no way I'm going to grow hair again, being a bald guy. Uh, <laughs> but I can uh, look a little better. Uh, and, and they laugh and I say, so if I tell you, you're going to go back to work in 10-hour uh, shifts? Probably not. But if we can get you back to a four-hour, three times a week job, that's a progress. And it's important you look at it as, I would do my best, you're going to work hard with me, and we're going to meet halfway. It's the meeting of realistic expectations is where the plan fails. Yeah, I call it validation. Uh, validation of a physician that I am. Validation of a belief that they believe in me. And they think I can help them. I like that validation. And when a patient gives me that, I feel it. And when I can convey that, I hope the patient feels that they're in a good place. What, what do you want to close it out with? What, what do you think we ought to hear? If you, could, if you could give us some type of pearl, as we call it in medicine, what would it be? I hurt. I need help. I would say... A provider has to follow his or her passion. And his or her passion, I believe, in that setting has to be, how can I decrease, minimize the suffering, improve the function in a manner that's safe, effective, medically effective, with the least side effects or complications or uh, importantly also price tag. Uh, it can be done. It has been done. Uh, and it, it, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can just judiciously apply all the tools we already have 
at our disposal together in, in a combination method, and I think we can achieve success in a lot of patients. The other thing that I think is very important is I think all of us physicians and providers uh, have to become a voice for our patients. Uh, pain patients don't have a big political impact. Pain patients are not very popular. They are not very influential. We don't have rich celebrities with pain that speak for pain patients. We don't have uh, 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 high-profile people that died in pain and left legacies and estates to uh, continue the work. But I think we can be their voice, take it to our local leaders, to our regional leaders, national leaders. Uh, I think we owe them that much, and it's such a huge sense of accomplishment and enjoyment if, if you get engaged and in, in, in giving people the best treatment ever and trying to be their voice. Yeah, it's really great having you. Thank you, doctor. Um, we appreciate that wisdom, and that's a couple decades of wisdom right there. And when you look at the big circle, usually we start off saying, oh, no, I want to get this person completely out of pain. And then as we evolve through our career, we realize we're back to another place. I just want to improve their function and quality of life. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. How about that? It's pretty good, wasn't it? He's a, a tremendous uh, fellow to hang around with, and I uh, loved talking to him. And I appreciate the podcast. Thanks again. I really hope I get to talk to him soon for more of those, uh, what I hear on the Internet, value bombs. Yeah, they are value bombs, but they're also the types of words that patients need to hear for hope and help and the light at the end of the tunnel is in the truck. No, it's something that can be good for them, good for their quality of life and their family. We're always trying to minimize escalation of controlled substances, get away from the medication if possible. And folks like this sometimes are the, are the beacon there. So go to iTunes, leave a review if you would, please. Paininformation.com. I'm starting to populate it now. I'm getting more stuff on there. I, I kind of held back. I wanted to uh, get the podcast going and some other things going before we really did that. But now um, I'm, I'm putting some of Andrea's book in there, and I, I put one of the articles I wrote on opioids in there that I hope you enjoy. I'll start adding some more stuff. And the article of the week is going to be that article, and I will put more links as uh, they are becoming available. So I uh, look forward to hearing from you, paininformation.com. Leave me a message. Leave me a little comment or two. And if you have a question about anything, let me know. Talk to you soon.